Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK podcast is recorded and presented in stereo. Listening to it through an environment such as headphones is highly recommended. Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK podcast is proudly sponsored by CDS Print and Design. For printed t-shirts, hoodies, canvases, coasters, placemats, stickers, banners, signage and much, much more, contact Colin or Debbie at CDS Print and Design through Facebook Instagram or email at cdsprintanddesign at gmail.com With high quality products at competitive prices, what have you got to lose? We're currently asking you, the listeners, for your ghost stories and paranormal experiences for a set of listener episodes. Wherever you live in the world, if you've had an experience, then please email the show with full details of your story to haunted UK podcast at hotmail.com. Think of some of the best time travel movies The Time Machine, Groundhog Day, The Terminator, About Time, Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, and, in my opinion, the best of them all, Back to the Future. All of these fantastic movies share a plot device where the protagonist or protagonists travel either backwards or forwards in time or are forced to relive the same moment in time over and over again to fix something that may have gone wrong or to maybe gain some sort of insider knowledge to take back with them. But this is Hollywood, the silver screen, the movies. Time slips couldn't be real, could they? Welcome to Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK Podcast. This is episode 4 of Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK Podcast, and this week we'll be looking at some curious cases of time slips. Before we begin to delve into this truly amazing and mysterious topic, we need to try to get to grips with what a time slip is. What could be causing these phenomena to seemingly be able to tear a hole in the very fabric of time and to have the energy to transport people to an entirely different period? There are a number of hypotheses which have been suggested by paranormal investigators to try and explain the phenomena of time slips. One interesting idea puts forward the theory that entire periods of time can be stored as an additional dimension. This dimension would include not only the time period, but also the entire surrounding environment. Buildings, trees, people, weather, everything. These dimensions float around in existence along with our own current dimension, but every now and then they can collide. 
the energy released from one of these collisions is able to rip a hole between the two time periods, thus allowing random people to seemingly slip into either the past or the present, hypothetically. Time slips can appear in all sorts of places, able to blend seamlessly between the two time periods and can sometimes stay in the same location, affecting multiple witnesses. Understandably, people who experience this strange phenomenon find it incredibly difficult to tell anyone about it, but also to be able to construct a satisfactory explanation. Imagine trying to keep your composure, ready to tell your partner or friend that you've just witnessed life in a village over a hundred years ago. And this isn't a movie. It's for real. There are literally thousands of stories of people, couples, even whole families that have witnessed the sights, sounds and effects that a time slip event can impress upon them. And it's for this reason that we'll be splitting this topic up into multiple episodes. In these episodes, we'll go deep into the experiences that these witnesses have encountered. They may seem completely out of this world, but you have to keep the following in mind. They had these experiences. They witnessed these phenomena, and they have been brave enough to share these stories with us. The history of time-slip events goes back decades, and one of the earliest documented cases happened to the famous Swiss psychiatrist and psychoanalyst Carl Gustav Jung. Now, although this incident didn't take place in the UK, I still wanted to include it in this episode because of its importance as far as the reliability of the witnesses and also certain aspects of the story are concerned. We'll see similarities between this and other stories as we go through these incidents. So, it was 1913 and Carl Gustav Jung was visiting the tomb of Gala Placidia, a Roman princess in the city of Ravenna in Italy. Upon entering the tomb, he recalled that he was overcome with a strange feeling that he simply couldn't quite explain. Fast forward to the early 1930s, and Young was again in Ravenna for a second visit to the city and its sites. This time, he was accompanied by a female companion, and they would visit the tomb of Gala Placidia and also the Baptistery of Neon. The baptistery was the most ancient religious building and monument in the city. Ravenna also held great importance in Italy, as it was the capital of the Western Roman Empire before its collapse in 476. Young recalled that, after getting that same strange feeling again in the tomb of Gala Placidia, he and his companion decided to go straight to the baptistery of Neon. Upon entering the building, Young described being struck and surrounded by a mild blue light that bathed the whole room. Whilst absorbing this strange atmosphere, Young was completely awestruck by four beautiful mosaics, which seemed to have replaced the four windows which he recalled were there when he last visited in 1913. He was so awestruck by these amazing pieces of artwork that he wrote about them in his biography. Quote, the mosaic on the south side represented the baptism in the Jordan. The second picture on the north was of the passage of the children of Israel through the Red Sea. The third on the east soon faded from my memory. The fourth mosaic on the west side of the baptistery 
was the most impressive of all. We looked at this one last. It represented Christ holding out his hand to Peter, who was sinking beneath the waves. We stopped in front of this mosaic for at least 20 minutes and discussed the original ritual of baptism, especially the curious archaic conception of it as an initiation connected with the real peril of death. I retain the most distinct memory of the mosaic of Peter sinking, and to this day can see every detail before my eyes. The blue of the sea, the individual chips of the mosaic, the inscribed scrolls proceeding from the mouths of Peter and Christ, which I attempted to decipher. End quote. These images had made such an impression upon him that he decided to make some inquiries about purchasing some photographs of all four mosaics. After making searches through various contacts, he couldn't find anyone that could supply the prints that he wanted. He knew that an acquaintance was due to visit Ravenna very soon, so asked if, whilst they were in the city, they could visit the Baptistery of Neon and purchase photographs of the mosaics. When Young's friend returned from Italy, he was told that he couldn't find any photographs of the mosaics in question. But he also informed Young that the mosaics that he allegedly saw had never even existed. There were no records at all of these works of art. Young was astounded. He was sure that he had seen these mosaics, and to get to the bottom of this mystery, he sought to get confirmation from the one person who was right there with him. He contacted the female companion who had shared these experiences. Amazingly, she confirmed that she had also seen the mosaics. She confirmed that they were real, and she also confirmed that they were in the positions that Young had described. She even confirmed specific details about each piece of artwork. So how could this be possible? The mosaic sightings were a shared experience, but they didn't even exist. Had both Young and his companion simply mistaken what they had seen? Very doubtful. Also, what was the blue light that surrounded both of them and flooded the room? Where had it come from? And how did this affect their experience? Could a reputable psychologist and psychoanalyst, along with a witness, completely misidentify images of mosaics inside one of the most culturally important buildings in Italy? Apparently not. It seems that the mosaics which were described by Young and his companion had indeed existed and had been destroyed by fire hundreds of years ago. But how could they have known what these pictures looked like? How were they able to describe these mosaics in such incredibly deep detail? Had Young and his companion been transported back hundreds of years to see this place in its past? Young was completely convinced that such a phenomenon had been responsible for their experience. Moving on a few years and back in the UK, we have another strange story of a time slip in action with similarities to the Young case. It's now 1954, and Eric and Irina Barton are running a tremendously successful bookshop in London. In their spare time, you would often find them out walking on the Surrey Hills. Irina recalls that, before one particular walk, she had felt a veil of depression suddenly engulf her, and, because of this, didn't want to go out. What she wasn't aware of at the time was that her husband Eric felt exactly the same way at exactly the same time. 
Could this have been a similar feeling to the one that Young had felt years before? Their walk had ended up taking them much further than they had planned, but were pleased when they had made it to the church in the village of Wooden Hatch. The church grounds also contained the tomb of John Evelyn, a famous 17th century diarist. To their surprise, they found the gates to the tomb open, so decided to take a look around. They spent more time investigating the church and the churchyard, before moving back to the entrance gates, where they discovered a path that was almost overgrown with vegetation. Neither of them could recall this path being there, but decided to follow it up the hill and beyond. It took them to a clearing with a wooded area to the side of them, and also a backless bench. It was here that they both sat down and ate their lunch. By this time, Irina recalled that the feeling of depression had now become so intense that she felt she couldn't even eat her lunch, so instead broke up the bread of her sandwich and fed it to the birds. She commented that a small amount of comfort came from the background sound of a woodman cutting a tree and a dog barking. It was then that everything went completely silent. No birdsong, no wind, nothing, except for the woodman and the dog. A blanket of icy coldness descended upon Irina, and she even asked Eric to feel her arm. Eric recalled that the day was very hot, and was surprised by how cold Irina felt. Irina then noticed that in the clearing were three men looking directly at them. Irina described the men as being in black cloaks, with the outer two wearing wide-brimmed black hats. The man in the middle was wearing a similar type cloak, but a smaller brimmed hat. Irina could also make out that he was wearing a clerical collar. The style of the cloaks and hats was estimated to have been from around the late 18th to the early 19th century. Both Eric and Irina commented that these men looked completely out of place as they were watching them, but they simply accepted them being there. After a little while, they both felt the distinct urge to leave the area and to try to make their way back to Dorking Station to catch a train back to London. They didn't really speak about what had happened as they made their way home, but Eric felt compelled to try and find out what they had witnessed by going back to the location the following Sunday. Eric retraced their steps back to the church in Wooden and noticed people leaving the church service. He approached one individual and described to him the pathway, valley, woodland and the clearing which he and Arena had witnessed a few days earlier but the individual couldn't think of any location which even came close to matching what was described. Eric then mentioned the specific backless bench on the pathway where they had both sat down for lunch, but again, the individual didn't know of any benches in the area at all. So what had happened here? Where had not only the landscape gone, but also the three men? After some research, it was theorised that this time slip may have had something to do with the diarist John Evelyn's tomb, which both Eric and Irina had visited earlier that day. In an entry in John Evelyn's diary, it states that in March 1696, three men, one of which was a priest, were due to be executed after being found guilty of high treason after a plot was uncovered to kill the king. Could the deaths of these individuals and the entry in Evelyn's diary somehow been the catalyst to transport both Eric and Irina back in time? Had the strange feelings of depression 
which both of the couple felt at the start of the day been somehow connected to the whole incident? Was this time slip and their entire experience meant to happen on that particular day and no other? Our next time slip story happened in the late 80s. This was also an event that was witnessed by multiple people, whose only plausible explanation still remains to be some sort of time slip which managed to engulf all of them. As the witnesses remember, it was late August and it was a pleasant sunny early evening. Four students had happened to pass the ruins of Thetford Priory and decided to turn around and take a walk around the site. Thetford Priory dates back to 1103 and was founded by Roger Bygod, the first Earl of Norfolk. It housed many tombs including that of the Howard family and other Tudor dynasties, but even this and its large imposing appearance couldn't save it from the dissolution of the monasteries in the mid-1500s. As with many of these old historic buildings, is it possible that hundreds of years of history can somehow be absorbed by the stone and foundations? Going back to our story, the students had parked up and began to make their way through the Priory, taking in the atmosphere and generally appreciating the ruins. One strange thing that they all noticed was, even though the Priory is near to a busy built-up area, it was completely deserted. They came to a section of the ruins which contained a large gatehouse. This archway also had various windows and some ground floor doorways. As they were chatting to each other, one of them noticed and pointed out a dark hooded figure moving past one of the upper floor windows. They then watched the figure make its way downstairs towards the doorway, but the students knew that there weren't any stairs at all. Somehow, the stairs had appeared. The whole building looked somehow different, more complete, yet still a ruin. As one of the four made their way towards the figure, it seemed to turn around and retreat back up the staircase. It was at this moment that they all decided to run after this strange hooded individual, hoping to find out who or what it was. Two of the students made it to the doorway and began to run up what they felt like was two or three steps before they were sent crashing into the wall at the back of the building. As both of them tried to recover as quickly as possible, the surroundings had changed again. The stairs had disappeared, as had the hooded figure. The whole building had gone back to a ruin. All four of the students recalled that at this moment, the entire atmosphere around them went icy cold, sending them into a panic and causing them to run back to the car park. This experience had a profound effect on these witnesses, with all of them fully convinced that some sort of time-slip event had occurred, enabling them to glimpse the Priory as it would have been hundreds of years ago. Our last tale took place in Devon in 1993. Alf and Eileen Roberts were on holiday and after a day out were making their way back to their hotel in Dunster when they became completely lost. They found themselves in a village which they didn't remember or recognise, so decided to pull over and get their map out and try to find out where they were. Alf recalled that they had pulled the car over by the village green, but his gaze was immediately drawn to a large, highly polished wooden sign sitting on a brightly planted flowerbed, which read, Bampton, the best-kept village, 1976. 
Both Alf and Eileen were completely awestruck by the beautiful floral displays. Window boxes, pots, hanging baskets were all overflowing and were in full bloom. Eileen commented that the whole place was a sea of amazing colours. After driving through the village and getting to a road they recognised on the map, they made their way back to Dunster. The couple were so impressed with Bampton that they decided to go back the next day and get some photos and possibly buy some postcards. Alf was quite confident that he knew where the village was. So, the following morning, they set out on their journey back to Bampton. After driving for a while, they entered the village. But things weren't as they remembered. There were no flowers, no pots, no baskets or flower beds. The village seemed dull and grey, not the bright and welcoming place that they had driven through the day before. Even the Bampton village sign was no longer there, and the flower bed that it shared was now just grass. How could the village completely change overnight? None of what Alf and Eileen witnessed had made any sense at all. It wasn't long after this incident that the couple recalled a few other little points which had completely confused them. Alf recalled that the first time they were in Bampton and looking at the map in their car, his cigarette fell onto the open map and burnt a hole in it. Upon checking the map the following day, the burn was gone and the map was back to normal. Both Alf and Eileen also recalled that they arrived in Bampton at around 7.30pm and even after pulling over, looking at the map, admiring the flowers and displays and then leaving the village, Alf's watch still read 7.30pm. His watch was working perfectly well. After doing a little research, Eileen had found records that proved that Bampton had indeed been awarded Best Kept Village in 1976. There doesn't seem to be any other explanation other than all of these people being direct witnesses to some sort of strange time slip. The witnesses are from completely different backgrounds, with completely different interests and finding themselves in completely different scenarios, but they have all shared an event that sets them apart from others who have witnessed the paranormal, a possible time travel experience. The four students who experienced Thetford Priory as it was hundreds of years ago stated that there wasn't anything about the Priory which struck them as being ominous or threatening when they first arrived and were taking a look around. The atmosphere changed as the experience happened, and it was then that the building took on a more darker form. As we've already hypothesized in previous episodes, are these experiences these time slips already set up and waiting for the right people to activate them? Does it take a certain type of day or event or person to click a time slip into gear so that it can display its full effect upon wherever it happens to be? Or are time slips around us all of the time, attached to buildings and areas of great distress or significance? And if this is possible, could this phenomenon be part of the stone tape theory? Whether this is true or not, if you find yourself out in the countryside or wandering around an old house or castle and you get a strange feeling, keep your wits about you because the next person who could experience a time slip could be you. Well, we've come to the end of the fourth episode of Pink Flamingo's Haunted UK podcast. 
but before I go, I'd just like to make a few announcements. First off, thank you to all of you who have listened, and if you've enjoyed the show, then please leave a five-star review. This will help the show tremendously. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Secondly, I'd like to give a shout-out to the show's sponsor, CDS Print and Design. Thank you so much to Colin and Debbie. Thank you for your support. Thirdly, I'd like to give a shout-out to a few podcasts which, if you're struggling to find interesting material to listen to, these will definitely quench your thirst. Wherever you download your podcasts from, try searching for the following. Astonishing Legends The Strange Sessions Haunted Housewives The Mystery of Life Podcast The Salty Speculation Podcast Killing, Missing, Hidden And from the Parcast Network Unexplained Mysteries Conspiracy Theories Gone And Extraterrestrial Next, if you've experienced a time slip then please email the show at hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com with full details of your encounter and I will try my best to read out as many listener stories as possible in dedicated listener episodes. I would genuinely love to hear from you, so please, get in touch. Last of all, if you have a podcast that you need mixing or if you need original music writing for your podcast, then please get in touch via email to pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com That's pinkflamingo.musicproductions at hotmail.com This podcast was recorded at Pink Flamingo Music Production Studio in Hells Owen in the West Midlands, England. For a full list of research sources that helped immensely with the content of this episode, please refer to the show's notes. Thank you all so much again for listening, and we'll be back very soon with another episode. Until then, stay safe and take care.